0: To the Seeing Red Podcast. That's right, that's right. It is another edition here of the Seeing Red Podcast. My name is Troy Moriello and I am your host, bringing you up to date and up to speed on all things St. John's basketball. And we have a little bit of a special edition podcast here. I'm going to be joined in a little, in a brief moment by my guy Anderson's Avenue, who started the decade as Mullins Hood. Then became or started the decade as Lavin Wood. Then became Mullins Hood, and is now uh, Anderson's Avenue. One of the best St. John's follows on Twitter for sure. And uh, him and I, I'm, I'm sure, if you have been on the internet or been anywhere over the past couple of weeks, you've been seeing these uh, these end of the decade countdowns, your top lists of the of things, whatever in the decade. So I figured I'll join in on the fun as well. So this episode is going to be the top st john's basketball moments of the decade now it wasn't a very successful decade for st john's but we did have some big moments so me or anderson's avenue and myself are gonna break them down uh, we just go in chronological order really fun chat about a half an hour really cool and uh yeah we just talk about some of our favorite st john's basketball moments of the uh of the past decade so check it out hope you guys enjoy it and uh, I'll be back on the other end to wrap uh, this show up, this this uh, special edition show up. So enjoy the chat with Anderson's Avenue. All right. I now am joined by a special guest, a recurring guest for our, not annual, but our first ever uh, decade recap, top moments of the decade for St. John's basketball. When I had this idea, I thought, who better to have on than Mr. Anderson's Avenue, who Started the decade as, what, Lavin Wood, then became Mullins Hood, and now is Anderson Avenue. But, but thank you for joining me, man.
1: Sure thing, man. Thanks for having me
0: absolutely so uh, before we start the, the the top moments of the decade what I, I want to just quickly talk about you know the decade as a whole for St. John's but how do how do you look at it now I mean it's technically not over but in a, in a few weeks it will be how do you look at this decade they did make what, three NCAA tournament appearances after what none I think the decade before that so or one the decade before that so they do make a couple of, of appearances but don't end up actually winning in the tournament um some turmoil certainly three head coaches what Where do you look at this decade for St. John's, or how do you look at this decade?
1: Sure, I mean, it certainly had its high points, but overall, I think most Johnny fans would agree that it was a little disappointing, especially um, the 2011 year with DJ Kennedy getting hurt, Mm -hmm. how far we could have gone
0: um, if he didn't get hurt. And then kind of the collapse of last season, mm-hmm. having higher potential and just not not ending well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even even 2015, I would say, that team, I, I mean, they, w- they would have had to play Duke in the second round of the tournament, but even that team, it kind of felt like they had the potential to be, you know, a, a 5 or a 6 seed and ended up having to play in that 8-9 game, you know? Yeah,
1: they I mean, don't I think, like, was it the
0: week before the tournament? Yeah, if, uh, on Selection <laughs> Sunday. <I think>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yes. That kind of exactly. Yeah, that that does kind of sum up the, the decade for St. John's. But we're going to look at more of the, the positives here. I think uh, in in the next couple of minutes with you, and and uh, we'll start in 2011. Steve Lavin's first season, their best season since 2003 in terms of wins. They make their first NCAA appearance uh, since 2002, and that season kind of starts off on, on a on a relatively high note. Or I think that when that season kind of got going was the big upset win over Duke at Madison Square Garden. This was actually your uh, suggestion for one of the top moments of the decade. I think it was a 93-78 win over Duke at the Garden in January. Uh, Your thoughts on our our first big moment for St. John's of the decade? I'll
1: never forget that game. It was uh, the day after the night that I went out with my friends for my 21st. So <laughs> I woke up not in great condition, but I realized, I quickly realized I was either going to the hospital or Madison Square Garden. And uh, I went to Madison Square Garden, and I'm, and I'm glad I did, because that was a hell of a game. I mean, Hardy played great. Sean Evans had a great game. And we, we ran them out of the gym. And It was ninety three seventy eight, 78 but the game wasn't even that,
0: that close as the score would suggest. It really just, kicked their out that day mm-hmm, absolutely and and I'll give a little bit of a personal story about that as well. Uh, From when I was growing up as a kid, I was not a, a St. John's fan. I think I was I was 15 at this point. I was actually a Duke fan. My, my dad was a Duke fan. Uh, I loved JJ Redick. I thought he was cool. I thought that everyone hated him, which I kind of liked a little bit. Um, and I, I, I love Duke, and that's why I was watching this game. I was rooting for Duke, and this was kind of the moment that kind of piqued my interest in St. John's. You know, where where I was like, oh, who are those guys? Because they had never really been on my radar, even living in New York and being a Knicks fan. St. John's just wasn't on my radar because they weren't very good for the better part of that decade or for the better part of my you know form formative years and seeing them kind of dismantle Duke, kind of put st john's on my radar and that was kind of the moment that i started to to shift from a duke fan to a st john's fan i would say i guess you can call me a front runner but that was kind of the moment you know Sure, just don't tell Favre fans that you might come after me for it. Absolutely, yeah. A little, uh, a little going against him there, but but the season continues for St. John's after the Duke win, after the huge win. This was the year that St. John's felt like they bet they beat every single ranked team that they played, even though that wasn't the case. Uh, they pick up a big, big win at home against UConn, and then the moment that I think if we were to rank the top moments of the decade, this would probably be number one. Uh, the upset win, sixty to fifty nine. Over pit, it's the Dwight Hardy towing the baseline and uh, rolling in that shot with like one second left over pit. The garden just went nuts. What do you remember about that one crazy moment? Probably the best moment of the game. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: I was at that game, and mm-hmm. I, just, I feel like so many of us saw that. Um, we were just so nervous thinking it was going to go the other way. Mm-hmm. And when Hardy made that move under the hoop and somehow pulled it off I, I I jumped out of my seat I think I landed in a row ahead of where I was sitting <laughs> and everybody was going ballistic and then my buddy and I actually ran to Justin Brownlee um, at, at Penn Station after the game which was really cool too but <laughs> no, I that, that, that move I don't know how he did it he like got him in the rim and then with his right arm kind of reverse play up without even touching the backboard but it was a great move and definitely probably my
0: number one moment of being at St. John's. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy, it was a crazy shot too and it was a crazy win. Was that, tell me, because I, I wasn't really a huge fan at this point, was that kind of the moment that you knew that this was going to be you know a special season, a tournament season? Were they already kind of in the tournament at that point or was that the win that was like, all right, they're going to the tournament? Like, How, how did that factor in? I think that was that clinching win mm-hmm. on that you were
1: going to. That, that whole season was such a roller coaster. We started out early getting upset by Fordham in the Bronx. I'll never forget watching the Fordham students storm the court. And I, I really thought that season was not going to go that well after that. But as the Duke win, the UConn win, the Pitt win. But the Pitt win was definitely like, the, okay, wasn't a fluke. This team is for real. It's going to the tournament.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and for me, that was the win that... Uh, I kind of saw the garden just erupt, and and for, for someone like me who was 15 years old or 16 years old in 2011, I think a sophomore in high school, I had never seen the garden like that for a basketball game because I was a Knicks fan and the Knicks they were getting better, but they had stunk for basically my entire life, and obviously I had never seen St. John's to that level. So just seeing the garden erupt that day was was just incredible, and that that was kind of the moment where I said, all right, I want to root for this team, now. I want to be a St. John's fan, and that was kind of kind of the start. So and then I ended up actually going to school as well, so that that helped as well um the season ends though or we go to the biggies tournament now for St. John's um obviously this the Syracuse game they lose to Syracuse and they lose DJ Kennedy to the ACL injury um they lose in the NCAA tournament as well to end that season, but I think in the in the March uh, portion of that season, what everyone remembers, what is a lasting memory for me, is the ending to that game against Rutgers in the Big East tournament, in their first Big East tournament game, where they win 65-63, but uh, who was it, Justin Brownlee steals the ball, travels, and steps out of bounds, yet no call was made, Um uh, that that's got to be up there as well for one of the more crazy, maybe not a good moment, but a crazy moment of this decade.
1: I I was legitimately concerned that Mike Rice was going to have the stroke on that <happens. laughs> oh, that That's my best memory from that, to seeing Mike Rice <laughs> screaming, and I mean, rightfully so. Yeah, the Buccaneers should have had the ball. I think it's around two seconds left. Yeah. Green, mm. um, I think, it was on the other side of the court, but they still would have had a shot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the refs just really messed that one up. Like, Unfortunately, that was in our
0: favor, but... Yeah, terrible call. Yeah, and I, I've, I've I've never seen... I mean, that was, like, legitimate front-page news, I feel like. Every single, like, ESPN the next day or that night, every single, like, program, I felt, like, let off with that. Like, how did they mess this up, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was tr- truly unbelievable. I don't think they, they could
1: get away with that today with all the... Vincent Brice played bad in math,
0: college and, and the NBA. Exactly. Yeah, that would not fly today. There, there would definitely be a review or something nowadays. Um, we move past now 2010-11 and we go to the 2012 season which basically saw the entire roster uh, turnover. Kennedy, Hardy, Horn, Burrell, Brownlee they all graduate. The new recruiting class come in. Probably one of the best recruiting classes that they've ever had. Uh, Mo Harkless, Sir Dam, Phil Green, D'Angelo Harris, and Amir Garrett, God's Gift. They all come in. Uh, Steve Lavin uh, unfortunately uh, has the, the cancer diagnosis before that season. Ends up only coaching like four games. Um, not really much Big happened in the 2012 season. I mean, in terms of on the course stuff, would you agree? Yeah, it was was pretty quiet. Yeah, so we'll go ahead to 2013 then. Second year. Uh, for the Red Storm, or second year for basically that big recruiting class now. Uh, Mo Harkless obviously goes goes pro and becomes a lottery pick, 15th overall. Chakar Sampson, Chris Obek become in. But this season was was kind of up and down for the Red Storm with all, on the court uh, issues. Remember D'Angelo Harrison gets suspended at the end of this season. Sir Dominic Pointer also uh, suspended for that fight that he had against Notre Dame. But the, the season did end on a relative good note uh, I would say. They end up going what, 17 and 16. They make the NIT and uh Sir Dominic Pointer kind of redeems himself a little bit, hits that buzzer beater against St. Joe's in the NIT. I-, I feel like this is kind of an underrated moment for this group, uh for that for that group of, of Harrison and, and Green and, and Sir and Sir Dom and everything, where they kind of, you know, they got some postseason season experience and it was kind of a, a learning lesson for them. And I feel like it was kind of a fork in the road for them, you know, this season. Would you agree? Like they could have gone one way, but they kind of went the other, if you know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, I think they made the most of it. Uh-huh. They are in pretty good shape to make the tournament. I think they lost four or five at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But for them to go up to the NIT and to still treat it tears and to win that game at St. Joe's, mm-hmm. I think it certainly set the seed for some of their backwards later success in the 14 to 15 season that took them to the tournament.
0: Exactly. And and it's like, yeah, it's like you said, they actually dropped uh, five in a row to end that season. They were 16 and 10. They finished uh, 16 and 15. And like you said, they, they could have just kind of collapsed in the NIT after they played in it and you know lost to St. Joe's and that would have been that but they did take it seriously like you said and they did get a win and I think that was kind of a building block but unfortunately the uh, 2014 season I-, I think the 2014 season might end up being the most disappointing season besides last season for the Red Storm with the talent that they had on the roster to not even make the tournament and then the embarrassing NIT loss to, uh, to Robert Morris I mean if we're ranking worst losses of of the decade for St. John's, the Robert Morris one has got to be up there. You know, that was pretty
1: bad. I think we <laughs> were the number one NIT seed. Yeah. And- Mm-hmm. It was definitely day and night to the way we treated the nit the year before. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I got the impression that team had no interest in playing against Robert Morris,
0: and it certainly should. Yeah, exactly. And that that just season as a whole, you know, they they were nine and three going into uh, conference play, and then dropped five in a row to start the conference, including including losses to DePaul and Providence. Um, they had that one chance, if you remember, in that game against Villanova on the road, low scoring game, and they lost fifty seven fifty four in that. Game that would have been that kind of signature win that would have got them to uh, eight to nineteen and nine on the season. Instead, they lose it. I think like Orlando Sanchez was out for that game. I remember if I'm correct as well on the road against Villanova. So like a lot of chances that they had, and then obviously the, the Big East loss to uh, to Providence just kind of felt like that season. They never were able to put it together, and just a very disappointing season as a whole. Yeah, I agree. Uh, to
1: the to the seniors' credit, at least from their seniors. Mm-hmm. For the year after that, they started the whole unfinished business hashtag mm-hmm. on Twitter, which really took off. And for their credit, they, they sent the frustration of underperforming that season and the year before, and that's what motivated them so much coming into that next
0: season. Yeah, absolutely. And we go ahead to that next season now, and one of our next moments, uh, the top moments of the decade comes early in that season. It was the fourth game of the year. Uh, in the, I believe it was the NIT season tip-off at Madison Square Garden against Minnesota, really their first tough opponent of the season, and this is one of our top moments as well. The D'Angelo Harrison four-point play in that game, where he uh, knocks the ball, saves it back from going in bounds, then runs to the corner, gets the open three, gets fouled, makes the shot, and and uh, gets the four-point play, and then kind of runs up to the sideline and uh, and uh, you know screams to the crowd. Offensive board saved by Harrison. Harrison. And another possession for St. John's. Harrison in the corner. Up and the foul. And Harrison goes berserk, screaming to the sky with good reason.
1: Well,
0: what do you remember from that one?
1: I mean, if if I had to describe D'Angelo Harrison in one play, mm-hmm. it would be that play. I mean, the guy was an absolute bulldog. The way he played, he was aggressive. He was competitive. You could you couldn't tell the, what the score was. You could have been down by twenty, up by twenty. He always played hundred percent, and and he got hit pretty good on that. Yeah. On the corner, he got. I mean, he got hit, like hit, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he drained it. He got right backed up, and he was just he was fired up. And I, I really I met the guy every day. He was just on this
0: players you always want to have on your team absolutely and I I think he's probably up there for my favorite St. John's players at least in the time that I've been watching and I was literally going to say exactly what you did that that moment. That play just encapsulates everything that D'Angelo Harrison was for this team. The scrappiness, you know, playing with his heart on his sleeve, you know, screaming to the crowd and, and hitting big shots as well for this team. That play was just all, you know, what D'Angelo Harrison meant to this team. Um, they do end up losing uh, that that game to Gonzaga, but a few, ga- a few days later, they play Syracuse in the Dome Syracuse was unranked I think but this was one of the biggest wins probably in forever uh, for St. John's they take down Syracuse on the road for the first time since 1999 they get themselves ranked in the process as well and that was the Phil Green game as we all know uh, 11 points in the last couple of minutes he buried those three 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 pointers down the stretch and had that like tough like like layup in in transition against uh, in traffic Um, what can you say about Phil Green's performance there I mean what a performance by him down the stretch. I
1: mean, he turned into the reincarnation of Michael Jordan in the <laughs> last three or four minutes. I was, I was watching the game with my roommate last time uh, with the Syracuse alum. Oh, So for them to go through the carry, I and mean, for me to be watching that with the Syracuse it was just, it was one of those great experiences. <laughs> but yeah, Bill Green, and I mean, I remember Harrison had a great team too. He made a three-pointer from, from the S yes. at the film. It was just mm-hmm. they were. They but you no, know, that Bill Green stretch. And I mean, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He was just hitting everything.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was kind of because they had lost to Syracuse the year before. Um, the Big East had just broken up the year before as well. To me, that that win just felt like it, it exercised a lot of the demons for these guys. You know, where the year before, and they, they had never really got it done, and we just talked about how disappointing that year before was. Um, earlier in that season as well, they lost that tough game to Gonzaga when Harrison uh, got called for the offensive foul down the stretch. So they were kind of looking. For that signature win, and I feel like this win against Syracuse was the one that kind of gave them their confidence to really go forward that season, and, and, and obviously achieve some some pretty impressive things, you know. Yeah, for sure, definitely a momentum building. Yeah, absolutely. So ending that season now. St. John's uh, up and down that season. They had some really, really nice wins. They played with Duke in that uh, historic win for Coach K, but they obviously dropped a a, a tough game to DePaul. I remember they lost to that they shouldn't have lost. Uh, Tough game on the road to Creighton. They got blown out by Georgetown on the road. So it was a very up and down season, but they end the season with those four straight wins, starting with a big win uh, over Seton Hall at home. And this was a moment that I added onto this list that I don't think anyone sent in on Twitter, but I, I thought this was just so special uh, for this program, and it was the the senior send off at at the garden or at Carnesecca Arena, and then at the Garden, the Carnesecca Arena. The one though I know, was awesome. It was at the end of that game. It was a close game. I remember against Seton Hall uh, in February down the stretch. St. John's, they feel like they led by like 10 to 15 the whole game, but could never really pull away. Finally, when the game kind of got out of hand, uh, they put in all the seniors together, and I just remember them, like, cuddling up at the foul line, and, like, Harrison kind of cheering them all on, and that, that was just a really cool moment. It's a group that's been through a lot, when you go through a lot of adversity, you can either fall off, or you can come together, and these guys have, have come together, and the fans respect that, and they feel it. It's a group that... Won 13 games as freshman, while Steve Lavin was going through his battle with cancer, won 17 as sophomores, 20 games last year, and the goal from the start this year has been to get to the NCAA Tournament for the first time in their careers, and they'll take one step closer today. Do you remember that at all?
1: Yeah, I do. I think that was kind of a bubble game, too. I think Steve Hall mm-hmm. still had a shot at the tournament, too. So mm-hmm. It was an important game to begin with, and for, for it to be the last on-campus game for those seniors and all of those emotions, the sort of disappointment, the high points, and then all the pressure on ending that season while kind of all bottling up, it was, it was definitely a great atmosphere.
0: Mm-hmm. And another thing that I, I, that I thought, at least from that one, was, you know, those guys, you know, you don't see a lot of four-year players in college basketball. Even back in 2015, you didn't see that. We were kind of well into the one-and-done uh, period at that point. So to see all those guys who had been here for four years long and, and, you know, playing at the same school for four years, they could have transferred, they could have went pro, they didn't do it. You know, do, do, did you get kind of get that feeling, too, where it was, like, you know, proud for these guys to actually be sticking around for all four years? Yeah, and I, I think that's why so many fans really liked guys from that class. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. um, because they stuck around through a lot of different uh, on-court and off-court issues, and, and and it all paid off. I mean, they made the tournament. And that was the goal. So, but when, when you see fans on Twitter talking about Phil Green or D'Angelo Harrison, it's it's overwhelmingly positive uh, response.
0: Exactly. Yeah, because they they as you mentioned before, they had the unfinished business. You know, they 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 came back with a goal in mind, and yeah, they didn't win the tournament game, but they did make the tournament. They did achieve what I think their goal was, which was to make the NCAA tournament. And so so credit to them. And you're right. I think that's why a lot of people look back on that time with with a lot of with a lot of praise because those guys did stick around and they mean a lot to this program. Um, 2016 now comes along. Uh, uh, Steve Lavin is out Chris Mullen is in the entire roster basically turns over again and we're in year one of what was the big big rebu- rebuild that uh, Chris Mullen had to deal with with a roster that was really left over with nothing they only win eight games that year they were seven and three at one point. They finished the season eight and twenty-four. So they went one and what twenty-one over their last uh, 20, twenty-two games. But they did get a big win over Syracuse that year. Really, the only signature win of, of, uh, of that year. And if the year before was the Phil Green game against Syracuse, this was the Amar game at Syracuse. Do you remember that one? Oh yeah, more
1: Ali Begovich. How can I forget him? <laughs> there, I've, I've seen so many great things, and some people not saying the great things about it. But I mean, that he was another player. He played hard. You know, he played hard, and I'll give him that. But. Yeah, I do remember he, he he had a he had this Euro step against Syracuse.
0: Which yes, it's great. And, and he had that he had that putback dunk. You remember that? And then he had the the three from like half court that he just put. He, he was like, I've never seen like a, a no offense to him, but like a subpar player be like just lights out in a game. And that's what he was not that game, you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, man, he was – there was another moment where I
0: had to, like, clean my eyeglasses to make sure I was seeing what I thought I was seeing. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, yeah, that was a rough year. 20, 2017, uh, the first year of Shamori Ponds, he was obviously looked at as, like, the savior for St. John's. Um, I, I always say this. I have – I don't want to say, like, a special connection with Pons, but I, I got to cover him in high school uh, the year before, his senior year of high school at Thomas Jefferson. So I kind of, like, knew – what he was bringing to the table. I saw him firsthand. I saw him play like 10 games that year. I was so excited for for the arrival of Shimori Pons to Queens because I had never seen St. John's with a high recruit like that. I mean, they did have recruits on the roster that were high, but a a kid that heralded, you know, coming locally like Pons did, I had never seen anything like it before. And he did kind of, it was early on, but he came in with a lot of hype, you know? Yeah, he came in
1: with, he was kind of the biggest New York City recruit um, uh, since Mo Harquist at yeah. that point, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, I, he honestly outperformed my expectations right away, because he, he was definitely undersized um, mm-hmm. for the Big East, mm-hmm. and he he, just, he looked like a 15-year-old out there <laughs> when he first showed up, he didn't have a lot of muscle, but I he was just, you know, he lived up to his nickname, he was slick, he would run past people, he was just smooth around the basket again. Mm-hmm. He certainly kind of adapted to the level much, much quicker than I thought he
0: would. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was very poised in, the, in that first season. And St. John's, I, I feel like, actually ex- exceeded expectations. Uh, that season going 14 and 19 back to what you said about how young he looked though when i was when i was watching uh highlights of the the syracuse blog for what we were going to do here tonight when they blew out syracuse in the dome they just ran him out of the building in the second half you're right ponds looked like he was about 14 years old i like i he looks so different from his junior year to his freshman year it's insane i've never seen anything like that um but the one big moment from that season was was the win at syracuse their third straight win over syracuse and, and like you said I, I feel like this was kind of of the moment too where you saw that there was some talent on this team with Marcus LeVette and Shemori Ponds, you know yeah and I mean a lot of, it, a lot of people were wondering how that was
1: developed mm-hmm. and it was tricky because Ponds, at the same time wasn't a pure shooting guard mm-hmm. and it was definitely more of a pure point guard so mm-hmm. he kind of had two more point guard oriented players and it did work for a period of time and mm-hmm. I feel like that's something Shamori struggled with um, for most of the St. John's time, trying to balance being a creator versus being a
0: shooter, mm-hmm. and I'm sure he had a lot of them be the reports in the year on, on the pressure to do both, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's true, that's true. Um, 2018 now we go ahead to, where, again, another very, very disappointing season. Uh, for St. John's, up there with with 2014 and with 2019 as, as really the most disappointing season. I don't think anyone really thought this team was going to the tournament, but they started off I think 10 and two, and then obviously the 11 game losing streak just just fell apart. It was a it was a rough rough stretch. The Marcus LeVette drama that was really tough as well. But we'll group these two together because the the Giant Slayers or whatever it was called, the Shamori Pons game against Duke when he hits that huge shot and he just takes over that game. And the win at Villanova, it's been now almost two full years later, and I still don't believe that they pulled off those two wins back-to-back.
1: Ponds, five to shoot. Let's it fly! That's probably the most iconic moment for Shimori.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, 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 I'm looking at that schedule now. You got like the 12 losses in a row, and then <laughs> beating two top five teams. It just it doesn't make sense. That, but uh, and, and we had those what is those giant player T-shirts. Yeah, that was story.
0: embarrassing. Yeah.
1: And, and there was a. I have a lot of negative uh, commentary on that, which I'll probably agree with. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're losing a lot of games. You, you do a great thing. You win top five teams, but I don't, I don't know if it's a reason to get a t-shirt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, and the, the thing with that, with that losing streak, too, is I'm looking at the schedule, too, right now. They lost that game to 23rd ranked uh, Seton Hall when I think Lavette and Pons were out. They lost by 5. They lost that game to number 1 Villanova by 7 and I remember there was a terrible over the back call uh, late in that game that kind of changed that game. They lost on the road against number 11 Xavier who would end up being a number 1 seed in the tournament. They lost by 6. They lost to number 6 Xavier a couple weeks later by 5. So they were like always in those games against the top teams. They just were never able to close them out and they end up losing every one of them. So to like pick up two in a row against two top four teams that I think both ended up being one seeds it was just miraculous to know, to, to see them close them out as well yeah I think some of that psychological pressure
1: probably went away and you know like they say when you got nothing you got nothing to lose and
0: mm-hmm. they mm-hmm.
1: kind of just started playing basketball in those two games and it was it was incredible to watch I'll never forget it
0: mm-hmm. well, what was I mean that, that Pond's like corner three against Duke to me I think it's up there. I mean, the the significance of the game didn't really mean as much, obviously, as the uh, as the Dwight Hardy shot against Pitt. But if we're just going on like individual plays, I think that the Ponds shot against Duke is probably, I would say, number two overall of the decade.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, especially with, you know, Samori he was kind of missing an iconic moment, mm-hmm. and when you mm-hmm. take Shomori ponds, that's certainly the first shot that comes to
0: mind. hmm absolutely, yeah, and that, that was his kind of defining moment, and then he put up, uh, what was it, 44 against uh, Marquette the uh, the game after that. We look ahead now to last season, we don't really have to remember anything about last season, it was only a couple months ago, but they did have some really nice wins in that season. Um to me, I thought that there was two—the two wins in this season that stuck out were the Marquette win at home on New Year's Day and the Villanova win at home when they were down 19 in the first half and came back for the comeback. Both of those games, though, I felt like we're gonna kind of, you know, flip the switch and, and turn this program around. And I think I called both of them program-changing wins at the time. Neither one of them really were, but both of those wins kind of showed you the potential of last year's team, you know.
1: Yeah, but the talent was certainly there. Mm-hmm. and when I think about last season, it really reminds me of Lavin's last year, where mm-hmm. it was a loaded roster, but just something about it couldn't come together and they didn't really, um, you know, <laughs> achieve their expectations. And obviously the similarities between um, the DJ Kennedy injury and just how uh, the team kind of fell apart in the last few games of the year. But just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so going back and thinking about that team, I think we were just too small. I mean, Park was really our biggest guy at that point, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and which makes the Marquette one really impressive because they had those one of those two brothers who just transferred out. Yeah, the Hauser brothers. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And but uh, us to beat that Marquette team, putting Marcus Howard aside, I mean that was. Them, and I really thought that team was going to take off, but they,
0: they they ended up struggling down the stretch a little bit. Yeah, and they were they were really just like the the 2014. If you think about it, with like the crazy wins or like the really nice wins. I mean, obviously the 2014 uh, team didn't have as many signature wins, but I think that they beat uh, they beat I think Creighton uh, at home again when McDermott was there. I remember that was like a big win for them. But both of those teams kind of lost games that they should not have lost. Like last year's team losing to DePaul twice, last year's team losing to Providence twice. You know. They, they both had those losses that made you scratch your head and those wins that were kind of crazy. But overall, I mean, let's look at the coaches now real quick before I let you go. Um, Lavin, Mullen, Anderson, Anderson, we've only got a couple of months to really you know, talk about his tenure, but which coach did, did you think did the best job at St. John's? I guess we can count Anderson, but which coach has done the best job at St. John's in this past decade and uh, which has done the worst or how would you rank them? I guess.
1: I live in with Nick's bag. I mean, we won some great games and mm-hmm. obviously that twenty eleven season was great mm-hmm. and then you know, his cancer diagnosis a year later kind of took a step back and yeah. I, I did think his obviously his recruiting efforts weren't as great mm-hmm. a couple years in as they were when he started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and losing Mike Dumnap, I mean, Dumbnap was clearly a great assistant mm-hmm. and was the great X's and M's guy. Mm-hmm. And he never really recovered after Dunnap left. Um, Mullen speaking of exes and I think Mullen could have used some more veteran um assistance. I, I, I think he, he, he did do a good job overall. Obviously, the numbers don't reflect like that as much, mm-hmm. but I, I do think he could have gotten some more veteran, maybe NBA assistants to join in. I'm, I'm sure he could have found some mm-hmm. you know he's, he's Chris Bullen at the end of the day, but <laughs> I think he had an overall inexperienced staff. Um, this, this, maybe the staff is just jealous not there was positive, a lot of off stuff but Marcus loved it leaving early that, yeah. that kind of took steps back but mm-hmm. I, I do think there's this and, and the staff's of uh, inability to get a good big I mean it's hard to win in the Big East without a good big again. We yeah, yeah. had Tariq Dillon, and, and even Owens was more of a flyer. He wasn't really a banger mm-hmm. like Josh Roberts. Mm-hmm. But, and then after Tariq Dillon left, just having, putting everything on Mark Clark's shoulders just wasn't fair to him. Mm-hmm. So, I, I do think that it kind of, uh, I was, the lone years were disappointing, and it's probably the best that he left what he did, because you, you don't want to tarnish his legacy. And I, I it's, just, it's probably the right moment, especially with the death in his family. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. I'm, re- I'm really impressed with Anderson so far, especially the product on the floor. People keep waiting for these craft games, and I mean, even you know, last night, mm-hmm. top is out. that was what was it, four for seventeen or something? Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and, and being a great exorbitant, but you still wipe this team off the floor. I mean, well, players just step up. Erlington had 16 points. Uh,
1: Roberts had a great game. Mm-hmm. And people just step up. And it's clear that Anderson knows his player strengths, knows their weaknesses, and is doing a great job so far in, in using these players.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I, I think I think if we're if we're ranking them, I would Lavin first uh, for sure. I put I'd put Mullen second right now, just at a default, and then I'd have Anderson third. But I think I think by by the end of Anderson's tenure, he very well could vault into uh, into first place. Uh, real quick before I let you go, what are we'll probably talk to you before the season ends. But but what are your expectations for the rest of the season for the Red Storm? I, man, it's, it's hard to say. They can go anywhere from 4 14
1: a conference play to 11 and 7. Yeah. And especially with the Big East, the way it is right now, C Hall's got a bunch of injuries, even though I do see they're up on Maryland right now by like eight points with mm-hmm. two little bucks.
0: Yeah. But huh. the Big
1: East, I think, is going to be much more open this year than people initially realized. Mm. And obviously, the Mustafa the Heron injury, whether that turns into something more serious that's going to actually impact his play or whether he's going to be kind of back to 100% is probably going to be a key issue. But it, it's just hard to say. I'm certainly really impressed right now. I, I think that most fans would take 10-2 right now, especially with mm-hmm. that win against WB year which Absolutely. is
0: now ranked. Yeah. So... I'm really
1: impressed so far, and I'm just excited to keep watching this team because they've just been a really fun team to watch.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think if they get to, like, six or seven in the conference, I'd be more than happy with that, to be honest. But um, but thank you, man, for coming. I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I,
1: I do think we got to address Wapol really quickly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was probably the best off-the-court moment in the last decade. I, I was tuning in at work, but there was some talk about poll probably, you know, Going off a little bit, but I don't mm-hmm. think anybody thought, thought coming what he actually said. I was just sitting at my desk, howling, and uh, I, I feel like I was. He was just saying so many things that's been on the minds of St. John's fans, and it was, it was a great
0: it was a great moment. Yeah, I, I can't believe I forgot that one. Yeah, the, the, we had that listed and everything. The Republic. are you are you like a are you a WFN listener, or, or was that just you tuning because of him?
1: I I'm not. I listened to too much mere sports radio growing up and I think my uh <laughs> my tolerance for that has decreased. No. But Paul, well, I mean, he was on fire. It's like he was reading reading off the script and I I think I, I don't think Mike Anderson would be at St. John's right now is LePa's gonna go on that interview and say the things mm. he said. I think he really impacted um the power dynamic and I think there's some more merit given to what Mike Crack had to say in the hiring process
0: after no. that interview. No, I agree hundred percent. I, I do not yeah, I do not think that they would have hit a home run with Anderson if if they if he did not go on there. I think they, they maybe would have ended up with St. Jean or something like that or you know someone else. But I, I agree with you. I don't think that it would have ended as well as it did if he didn't do that. So in a way you could say Mike Ripley uh, saved the program, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he's our a Batman, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, thank you for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Like I said, there was no one no one better that I could think of to do this than you because you are kind of like the, the unofficial uh, leader of the fan base on Twitter. So I really, really appreciate you coming on. And we'll definitely have you uh, on again this season, maybe after a game or something to talk about a game. Yeah, thanks, man.
1: I'll be happy to do so, and I'm excited to uh, keep watching this great
0: team so far. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, happy holidays to you, and uh, we will talk to you soon again here. Thanks, for Talk to you soon. Thanks once again to Anderson's Avenue for coming on there and helping us talk about some of the Top St. John's moments of the past decade, like I said at the top of the show, not not the most intriguing decade for St. John's, certainly not the most successful decade, but uh, there was no shortage of drama. Let's say that, and there was there were some nice moments sprinkled into uh, mostly underachieving. But hopefully this year's team will change that uh, in to start off the next decade, to start off 2020. But thank you again to Anderson's Avenue for doing that. One of my favorite follows on Twitter, really since I became a St. John's fan way back in the day. But that was cool looking ahead now for the rest of the, uh, of the week holiday week coming up next. Probably won't have any show coming out in the middle of the week, but I am going to try towards the end of next week after Christmas Eve and Christmas, I'm going to try to do a little bit of a Big East preview. I'm going to try to have someone on, not quite sure yet, but uh, I'm going to try to have someone on to do a Big East preview heading into conference play for St. John's and the rest of the conference. So we'll, we'll do that hopefully at the end of next week or maybe next weekend some point. We have a little bit of a layoff here between uh, St. John's and, uh, game against Arizona and then their their, uh, Big East opener against Butler on the 31st, so we're going to try to fit in a preview somewhere down the line there. Uh, Be on the lookout as well, Saturday night or Sunday morning, I may do another one of those Periscope lives uh, if you follow me on Twitter at Troy Moriello, um, I did one after the Mustafa Heron injury. I, I actually liked it. It was kind of cool. Didn't have a lot of live viewers, but uh, there were actually a good amount of people watched it on replay. So that was cool. I may do that again after the uh, after the Arizona game for like five or ten minutes, either right after the game if I'm if I'm not doing anything, or the next morning. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for an episode next week as well, since we probably won't have a show. For all those who celebrate, have a merry, merry Christmas. And I uh, hope everyone enjoys their, their holidays with family and friends and whoever else you hang out with. And uh, hopefully St. John's gets a big win this weekend against Arizona. Hopefully they can just play competitive. Like I like I tweeted out last night, really, they this this non-conference schedule is already a success in, in my mind. They've already done what they needed to do, going ten and two. So now just really play a, a competitive forty minutes against Arizona. Don't get blown out. Don't get your doors blown off. I wouldn't play Mustafa Heron. Still, uh, we'll see if he does play, but I wouldn't play him. And uh, I would consider you know no no major injuries or anything like that. And I would consider this a a rousing success non-conference play. So we will see and uh, we will be talking on Periscope probably after that game at some point. So that'll be the next time that you hear from me. But thank thank you everyone for listening. Thank you everyone for submitting your top moments as well. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, that just wraps up our show for the day. So let's go, Johnnies.